0: Welcome to Word is Truth. We're continuing where we left off. its eight twenty-two, 8-22-2021, and we're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer.
1: I have the thought of the week.
0: It's entitled Truth. Uh-oh, I do hear some background noise. Uh, we're going to ask if everybody can mute their phones if they're not speaking. Thanks. Go right ahead, Fred.
1: Okay. Again, I have the thought of the week, and it's entitled Truth. As free will beings, our understanding and use of biblical truth will determine how we live now and decide our eternal destiny. As important as this subject is to us, we should answer some key questions about truth. What is truth? How do we arrive at truth? What is truth for today? As mentioned earlier, we should all answer these questions. It is not logical for me to assume that everyone will come to the same conclusions I have. However, though our answering the questions for ourselves, it brings this vital subject forward in the conversation. Consider the arguments made, and if you have something to advance in the conversation, please share. I'm certain the conversation does not end with my thoughts. Our Lord made a statement about the exclusive exclusivity of truth everyone on the side of truth listens to me that's found in John 18 chapter 37 I mean chapter 18 John 18 verse 37 hopefully your search for truth does not end with Pontius Pilate's snarky response to Jesus what is truth? retorted Pilate found in John eighteen thirty-eight. Uh, The the Bible tells us that his word is true. And this is a very important subject, truth, because this, you know, finding out what the Bible says about truth is essential to eternal life. So in your quest for truth, please consider those questions that were asked.
0: At this time I'm gonna turn the service over to Bill for prayer. All right, Bill. Um I don't know if you're muted or but um
1: Okay. At this time, we'll have prayer. Uh, if there's anyone who uh, wants to ask for prayer for someone of like themselves, with the power to do so. All right. If we can all bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you, Lord, Father, that you've given us opportunity to stand before you on this day. We pray for all those who are traveling. Uh, We pray that they get home safely we pray for all of Word is Truth Church. Lord, we want to thank you that you have given us the elect those who are a new creation in Christ Jesus a privilege and honor that far exceeds anything in all of human history. We thank you, Lord, that you brought
0: so much of us to give us a, a gospel and a relationship that is so true with you. We thank you and all blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, uh, Fred and Bill. We appreciate the, uh, what you were able to do for our service. And we're going to continue where we left off Uh, You should have notes, Um, pulling mine up as we speak. You should have notes today and uh, we are going to cover John 16 and 23. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. As the disciples were struggling to understand the immediate future Clarity would be coming soon. If they thought the last three years were exciting, what was up next would be even more interesting. They were selected for a position far greater than they could imagine. While they were contending with one another about who is the greatest and who would sit at his right and or left, Jesus had far greater plans for them. We marvel at the father's father's plan and think and to think these disciples were the first to know about how deep things uh, about the deep things of god just like the apostle paul quote in order that we who were the first to put our hope in christ might be for the praise of his glory unquote that's ephesians 112 So what we have as we go forward, um, you know, this conversation was sparked from a comment Jesus made in a little while, and he said, and then after a little while, he gave some things, and this is where the disciples were thrown into confusion about uh, this whole thing, uh, you know, the series of events, uh, how they were going to happen, so Jesus kind of laid them out. And what we have as a result of this is a logical, uh, sequential understanding of the events that were soon to take place all the way to that time where Christ is talking about uh, in Pentecost, where he says, when the Spirit comes and a new dispensation dawns. So we're going to get right into our notes. I think we're just going to break down this verse into two phrases and uh, hopefully uh, we will cover some of the thought of what is said here. So the first one is, In that day you will no longer ask me anything. So the first thought is, in that day. (laughs) You have to say what day you're talking about. So a reference to the time when they see the risen Christ. Now, how do I know that? Because, uh, you know, Jesus has been talking about when the Spirit comes, you know, there's a time coming soon, and so forth, and how do we know when, what he's talking about? Because we have the context. That's how. Now, I took the liberty of reading several commentaries. Some commentaries uh, said that uh, it was referring to Pentecost, and I thought, okay, wait a minute, um, are you sure about that? And uh, as I looked further, I saw that no, 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 Jesus wasn't talking about Pentecost. He was talking about what would happen when he died and how it would affect the disciples. And he further he he talked about um, what would happen as a result of him being risen from the dead and the impact that that would have on the disciples as well. So, in that day is what he's referring to. So, here we have, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. So, it's a reference to the context. I don't know if we why we would take it out of a context that it is in. And we're not going to go back and jump around and say, okay, now he was talking about his resurrection in these verses, but now he's talking about the um, coming of the Spirit at Pentecost. Now, wait a minute. We won't say that Jesus can't switch back to that, because that is the broader context, right? That the Pentecost, new dispensation, that is huge. Uh, but uh, And the disciples certainly don't understand what it takes to get to that point at pentecost so jesus fills in some of this gap by saying in a little while this is going to happen and we 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 kind of knew that from the context as well we we added it all up and said wait a minute this discourse happens and right at the end of this discourse christ says let's go and uh, they go to the garden of gethsemane and from there, Judas meets them, and all of the action begins to happen. And before you know it, Christ is cru- crucified the next day, uh, before sunset. He's crucified and laid in the tomb. And so, so in a little while, is really in a little while. Uh, he will talk about Pentecost from the same language by saying, oh, Soon the day is coming when I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you." He, he, he says that, but he's talking about Pentecost. but here clearly says in a little while, and he gives the birth analogy. Birth analogy doesn't go on for 50 days, which fit Pentecost. Birth, birth analogy goes on for very quick very quick period, and then next thing you know, the woman has birth. So it is with Christ. He was in the tomb, and on the third day, he rose. So that's, it's a reference to the time when they see the risen Christ. And let's look at it. Uh, we'll cover some of the points as to why and how and all that. Point B, as we covered last week, this time would be monumental for the spiritual lives of the disciples. This is the reason for their grief. And confusion. So we just need to remind ourselves, point B does that, uh, how monumental it was for the disciples. I mean, for their spiritual lives, it, it meant everything. I mean, to think that the Lord that they had been following for three years is now dead. Like, the movement is over. I mean, and it was some a miraculous time. I mean, signs, wonders, the miracles that accompanied the person of Christ. Even Nicodemus said it. No, We know that God is with you because no one can do the things that you're doing unless God is with them. So we, we, we understand for sure that Nicodemus uh, understood what he saw. He wasn't exaggerating. He was saying what he saw and he was telling the truth. No one could have done those things unless God was there with him and as in the person of Christ we can we know that God the Holy Spirit God the Father uh were definitely with him and he is the Christ the son of the living God so there's no doubt about that every there is no reasonable doubt let's say that we can conclude that Christ is not who he said he was so so then he dies right now of course that it's confusing in and of itself, because in their theology, Christ doesn't die. I mean, in their theology, he he goes on to conquer the Romans and restores Israel to its pristine position, and so forth and so on. That's in their theology. Not that Christ dies. Not that the church age begins. Not that God calls out many sons into glory. Not the rapture of the church and Israel, then continuing with the tribulation. Oh, no. That's, none of that is happening, right? So, uh, understandably, the disciples are thrown into confusion. Uh, I'd say, <laughs> disciples, listen, there's all kinds of confusion going on about what's going to happen next. Uh, you got premillennial, which is what we are. I, I, I'm not hiding the fact that we are premillennial, but then there's mid. Um, uh, You know, we are pre, not pre-millennial, I think I said that wrong, we're pre-tribulational. In other words, before the tribulation happens, God will catch us out of the world. And then there's mid-tribulationists, people who believe, oh, the church will get caught out in the mid-tribulation. Then there's post-tribulation people who believe they don't really make a distinction between the church and Israel. And they're like, oh, it's all going to be over one day at the end of the tribulation and there's all kinds of views on a millennial oh it's figurative it's uh, literal a thousand years literal and and so then there's confusion all about in every area you can imagine there is confusion being thrown into what the word of truth says so only thing we can do is depend on what the word of truth says it is good for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be mature thoroughly furnished unto all good works so we know that that's the case but <clears throat> well, what does man do he challenges he second guesses the word uh, and next thing you know to, to, to man the word is not truth it is just a basis for their argument <laughs> so it becomes confused and the disciples certainly had confusion in their day. Uh, we, we, we see that as happening. So let's move forward. Uh, point C, two events could account for their confusion, and we're going to go over some of them, but just note, just for them seeing the person of Christ, just for them seeing him alive, it meant so much to the disciples. I mean, I mean their hopes were dashed on the one hand, and they, everything they had imagined, their salvation was in this person, and he dies, and and now they don't understand that. But when they see him alive, it just all comes together. It just makes sense now. So we're going to cover that thought because in that day refers to that. That's what's going to happen. He re- he talks about the, as I say, the emotional roller coaster, but then. When it's over, they are, have a different mindset. So point C, we already said that <clears throat> these t- two events could account for their confusion. Let's look at these points that are here. One is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And this is monumental in their world. It was about to be shattered, right? It, it, it's That's the reasoning, right, that we just covered And they would have to learn of new dynamics and it would depart from their culture. I mean, it's new, literally. We have to say, just new. And and people, we have to think about change. Uh, But change is one thing when, when it's within cultural and traditional boundaries. That Change is okay. People accept that. But when change stretches those boundaries and breaks the mold of what we thought would be things that were could not be moved then it requires a lot from us for the disciples christ crossing those traditional and religious boundaries that uh, were placed what that the, the disciples accepted and thought were, you know as truth Christ challenged that. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, what I'm telling you, I need you to see this as coming from God. That's what I need you to to recognize that I am not here just telling you something that is different or aberrant. What I'm telling you is truth. And the disciples had to get with that. And that's what happened. That's what happened. So that first point, was that death, burial, and resurrection of Christ was not in their theology. I like what it says in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15. At the end it says, Behold, look, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. When the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised. Right? And it goes on. But that thought right there, is not in their theology. They had to learn all of that, just like we do. And for them, who are Jews, uh, it's even more. Because one thing, we could argue with Gentiles and say, well, you know, Gentiles, you know, they believe it or they don't. But Jews, God did show up in their culture. God did establish Israel with signs, wonders, and miracles. It wasn't easy for them to turn aside from that and to say, wait a minute, God, you, 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 you're going in a different direction, and God is saying, yes, and I'm doing it using the same signals that I did when I created Israel. Signs, wonders, miracles, and my sovereign choices. So that's noteworthy, I must say. So their world was about to be shattered. They would have to learn the new dynamics uh, and it will depart from their culture, which was hard. And I, I would say we all have to do that, even today. We have to depart from whatever cultural norms and standards we hold. It, even as Gentiles, you, your culture cannot hold you back from truth. If it does, then what has to happen? You have to drop culture, religious Uh, training and standards that you held before you came to this new creation in Christ point two the coming of the Spirit this is an orientation they didn't have this is also historic because a new dispensation would soon dawn and the change was coming so not just uh, I I guess we're talking about the same thing in both points but these are very poignant in that Both of these points have uh, definite events tied to them, like the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. They had to grapple with those things right there on the ground. And then the coming of the Spirit, which, well, when was that going to be? Is that going to be when Christ leaves, when he's coming back? They're confused. They don't know what the chronology is of those events. So it's sure, sure that they could be confused. And as I say, many are confused today about the same thing. So we shouldn't be surprised that they were. My gosh, if you go look in theology books, you find a myriad of points of view and thoughts, uh, you know, nuance thoughts about what could be or what the verses are saying and so on. The verse is pretty much clear, uh, but there are so many views, so many. So it was soon coming uh, a new dispensation, which is huge. I mean, Just imagine, we've been in the church age for 2,000 years now. 2,000 years! It's common to us. For them, it was not. It was something that was new, dangerous. Uh, uh, they, they had anxiety about it. Uh, like, what is this thing? We don't know if it's of God or not. Well, we, we, God did demonstrate that it was of him, and... and and, and so we had that assurance, but they didn't know. They were like caught between the two, so you could see the confusion. But when, when God showed up and did what he did, that should have settled the matter. But it, it didn't. People still have choices to make. So it, that, those two things were, were the reason why they had such confusion, right? For their grief, for their confusion. Two things were, were gripping them. And point number three, the context had been of Jesus leaving and going to the Father. He's been talking about that uh, in the context, it, so it's clear. However, there were important details to unfold before Pentecost happened. So they they needed to understand not only, okay, I've been telling you about, about uh, Pentecost and the Spirit coming in that day, uh, uh, You will realize that I am in you, you are in me, and and so forth, right? The Father, we will come and make our home with you. I will manifest, right? All of that He has been really building up. Well, when the Spirit comes, Spirit of Truth, He will He will guide you into all truth. When the Spirit comes, He's going to convict the world of sin. When the Spirit, you know, He's been talking about this in the context from chapter fourteen, so it's not uncommon. That they were like, what do you mean going to the Father, all this? You know, le- you're know, you leaving us and you're going to the Father. But there were important details, point number three, that were important to unfold that they would need to know before that happened. So Christ, uh, and point number four in my notes here, with the introduction of, in a little while, and then after a little while, Jesus gives some information of what the disciples will go through before they will get to Pentecost, and that, to me, is appropriate and hopefully uh, not confusing to anyone here. And I understand if it is, but if if it is, just simply ask the question. Don't let slip around like the disciples and uh, start going back and forth. And, and And we have the information right here, so let's. Take advantage of it. Let's use it. So point four again with the introduction of a little in a little while and then after a little while Jesus gives some information of what the disciples will go through before they would get to Pentecost and that was why he gave that information. Imagine the thoroughness of what Jesus gave us. Not only did he introduce the mystery. He told us there was going to be a lot more coming more than you can now bear. But he also let them know that with clarity how it would go down. He knew they wouldn't understand all of it. He knew it. But he says, you know what? When these things happen, then you will remember what I told you. And you will remember how we talked about this, how this was said to you and so forth. He said that all the way through. So we, we know that he's saying that because they wouldn't get it, even still. They wouldn't be able to understand these new things that were soon to come to pass. But they would eventually. And thank God they did because guess what? We now have the richness of their understanding as they wrote to us in the word of truth. So we We have it right there before us. So we're continuing with point D in our notes. You will no longer ask me Anything. This is the second half of that phrase. Once they see the risen Christ, that is. that That's it. I mean, it answers. It, it brings to mind. And even God said this uh, through Luke and others who, you know, the disciples on the Emmaus road. He brought out the fact, wait, didn't he tell you? Remember the women we read the context before? Didn't? Don't you remember when he was with you, he told you these things? And even though they didn't, they didn't regard it as reality or truth, they sort of ignored it. Yes, they remembered after he reminded them again, but initially they sort of dismissed what Jesus was saying as he's a little crazy sometimes. He says some crazy things and we can put up with that. but. Really? We're not sure that he's really, that those things are really going to happen. That's, I mean, that's far out there. So, <clears throat> point D is once they saw the risen Christ, things change for them. I mean, listen, if somebody you had admired and revered as, you know, the Messiah, you were physically interacting with this person on a daily basis and they died. It then came back to life three days later. Things would change in your life as well. So here's four points of what changed for them. All of the point one is all of their former questions of confusion would automatically be answered. I mean they're answered because not only has Christ been telling them this the whole time, but they're answered because they see that these things are absolutely true. There's no questioning about it right before they were like, hmm. Peter was like, Lord, you're saying those things again, please don't tell people that. He rebuked the lord for for telling. Uh, the, the facts that he was going to die, be taken, you know, get caught in Jerusalem, and and, and the chief priests and the rulers are going to going to have have him flogged and beaten, and and then he's going to die and be raised again. And Peter said, "Don't tell that anymore. We've heard that enough." Imagine what it took for Peter to say that to to, to the Lord. It took the familiarity of Christ's uh, saying that over and over, and Peter coming to n- to understand, yeah, yeah, that that is the reality. So, all of their former questions of confusion would be automatically answered. Why would it be answered? Because they saw the Lord. They saw him. Like they, he's alive. There's no other place you can go with that. Point two: their grief would be turned to joy, just like Jesus said. And they wouldn't be sad to see Jesus. They wouldn't look at Jesus and say, Oh, man, you came back to this dreary, dead world. Why would you do that? No, they were, it, it answers a lot of their theological understanding. right? It, it's like putting two and two together. It's like connecting the dots, as, as it were. When, you, when things come together in our lives, in our spiritual lives we see this scripture and what God has been telling us all along. And then finally, we see the scripture. And it's saying what God has been telling us all along. And so then we believe it. Like, oh my gosh, there it is. It's like the light bulb came on in our minds. It's like, wow, God, you you just, I never saw that scripture until you showed it to me. Well, Imagine the joy that they saw and the joy can only be realized in the context of suffering and that's what happens with joy remember it is within the context of suffering that the joy is exacerbated or exaggerated because if God would just show up in the person of Christ in other words and, and then die and be resurrected and he didn't tell anybody or anything it would just be surprised here is joy. It's a difference. There's a knowledge, there's a context to the joy. And and there's a vindication of God's word and and God's name and his character that is also associated with the joy. I mean, we who are following God, who who put our trust in him, who, who, who literally have given over our lives to God, have when we see we we gr- are greatly it's almost a relief to say that god has given us something that we now see as confirmation to what he has been telling us we are on the right track we this is god is telling us hey i'm showing up and telling you i'm confirming to you that i am here Sometimes it may be like I'm, you, you don't see me, where you had the grief and you had the troubles, and you thought maybe is, is, am I really trusting in, God, I mean, is this real? I mean I, I'm putting everything in here, and then it doesn't seem like, but then joy comes. I, I like that version song. Weeping may endure for night, but, but joy comes in the morning. That's a psalm. Just imagine, they used to sing that. And that's, you could see why that is, because we got more weeping to go through. We we got more troubles in this world that we're going to go through. But just know, joy comes in the morning. And joy, as I said, is in the context and is associated with the struggles and the trials that we are going through. That's why it is joy. So... Count it all joy when trials hit you. Jesus, it says, uh, he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him, scorning its shame. So, so that joy is important. Their grief turned to joy. I would have loved to have seen that worship service because it was filled with joy. And not just somebody giving you like a pepper alley, you know, getting excited, you know, ha- Hallelujah. No, this joy was associated with real events that happened in the disciples' life. Real grief. And boy, did they rejoice. I can imagine they weren't worried about what the Jewish leaders were going to say. They weren't worried about who heard them. They were filled with joy. And that's the kind of joy that God manufactures, not humanly manufactured. Point. Three point three in our notes D three. All the morbid statements of Christ that He said, all Christ's morbid statements would be reconciled. Now, for them, those morbid statements annoyed them. I mean, it, we like what we we like about Christ is He has healed the sick. He has done all these things. But what we don't like about Christ is he keeps making these morbid statements. I could give you some, you know, where Christ has said this and the disciples really don't know what to do but be puzzled about this because it's not in their theology. Remember the Matthew 1 I've just been talking about? But these statements about death? Imagine if you, you know, and, and this today, you know, if you talk about death too much, people get little nervous they're like whoa is this guy balanced is you know if somebody is talking about death all the time you know how they're going to die and this is going to happen and after a while people are like listen this guy may need help we may have to get him help he's talking about death too much but you know imagine peter got annoyed as i said earlier and he he reacted when christ said that he was happy when he says hey when peter says You are the Christ, the son of the living God, Christ said Peter. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, he has revealed this. Now, Peter, on this statement, I will build my church. And and all that went on. And as Christ went through detail, more detail, about how the church would be built on the back of his suffering, Christ, Christ was literally laying out what would happen. Peter reacted. He reacted. He said, no, this shall... He didn't just say, don't say this. I don't think this is a possibility. He said, this will never happen to you. Never. And he was tired of it. I'm sure the other disciples were too because they didn't know what to do with that. They didn't know where to place it. So they would not have to worry because all what Christ said is true. And on the third day, he would rise I mean all of all that came true they were literally looking at the risen Christ Christ when Christ came to them you know what he said hey it's me touch me check me out see that it is me and i'm sure they they checked him out to the to the extent they needed to to realize that joy was the result point 4 in our notes they would have assurance and confidence in whatever was next was to come next whatever come come what may as they say whatever comes let it come because because god has given us something that is the reality that goes beyond death goes beyond time i mean christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world god is not just being true to his word in the gospels He's being true to his word from the foundation of the world. I mean, Christ the, literally is standing here before you. Christ said, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All power. Literally, Christ was alive. And this is confirmation, vindication for all that people, all the people who have said that no, there is no God. There is, and, and oh, there is a God, but he's not the God you're talking about. Oh, there is a God, but it's not just one God, there's many gods. There's all kinds of things people are saying. But you know what? In all those other religions and isms, and they don't have this type of confirmation and assurance that we have. They don't have signs, wonders, and miracles demonstrated and recorded, even by people who did not believe in Christ. And just to note, the the disciples themselves who witnessed the signs, wonders, and miracles didn't believe that Jesus would rise from the dead. (laughs) That's the dirty laundry of it all. So just to know these are things that create in us a confidence that cannot be moved, an assurance that whatever happens, I know God is with me. And if He is is His will that I die, if I go through death, then so be it. I know God got me on the other side. I know He's there. I know that I have a future with God. And if this is His will for me, so be it. So be it. That let it be that way, that He would rather have me go. So that is how I see this. And I, I'm so pleased to know that. The disciples saw that. And if they didn't see it that way, guess what they could not have done? They could not have been apostles who were the foundation of the church. Isn't it interesting how God's sovereign will and our free will coexist together to accomplish God's eternal purpose? You see the changes the disciples went through. And yes, they ended up full of confidence full of assurance that these things were absolutely so and they were willing not just okay okay if i have to go that way they were willing to suffer with christ for this cause to me that's that's amazing that's interesting so christ says in point number c ask me anything and it's about this confusion that's when he says you, you, can, In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. What does he mean by ask him anything? He's talking about the confusion that was existing in their minds and thoughts at that time. Because they would have more questions about what was to come next. They would. We, we know that they had more questions. But as far as what was important for them to know at that particular juncture... In, in these events they had all the answers they needed to know they had everything they needed to understand imagine what it must have been for his mother to see him die the pain that she went through and then to see him alive and recognize that everything he said to her was just as God had designed and, and she is seeing the fruition of it all Imagine that, if you would have realized that. So on Resurrection Day, you can have these thoughts because the world has them. But you know what? These thoughts don't have to depart from you, and then you have to get them back on Resurrection Day. Just continue to remember, this is the confidence that we have in Him. And it cannot be shaken. And yes, we are on the right track. And, and we're, we are doing the very things that God has ordained, ordained that we do. Always know that that is so. Know that that is true. Have confidence. Be willing to give up yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. So, point, we're going in our note, back to our notes. And we're uh, looking at the second phrase here, and then we're going to close. Second phrase of that verse is, Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. So, we're going to look at this phrase. Next point, first point is once they see the risen Christ, they will begin to understand. Uh, and, and this person, the Father, Jesus has been telling them about, will come into focus. Now, I have a verse for this, John fourteen seven through 10. So Jesus has been talking about the Father a lot. I mean, when he talks about the Father, I mean, they don't really know, right? This is a new concept for them. So this is what it says in verse 7. If you really knew me, if you really knew me, you will know my Father as well. In fact, from now on, you do know him because, and you have seen him. Now for Christ to make this statement, first of all, he says, if you really knew me. In other words, the real me, Christ is saying, is the Father. Right? This is what he's saying. He's not saying he and the Father are the same person. But everything that the Father has commanded him, even the words that he speaks, even the actions, are all ordained, and the Father is the one who has initiated those thoughts. So, really? Philip, you do know me, because everything that comes from me has been from the Father. So, because the interactions that you've had with me, the sayings... All the miracles, signs, and wonders are from the Father. So everything, everything, who about who I am, is the Father. I like what it says in Hebrews. He is the exact representation of His being. Right? He is, or in Colossians, He is the image of the invisible God. Who are you seeing then? You are seeing the Father who is, in that verse, the invisible God. So he says, if you really knew me, if you really know who I am, spiritually speaking, you will know my Father as well. In fact, you know him. <laughs> Let's just go ahead and say it. You know him and you have seen him. Now this comes from Philip, or not Philip, but Thomas's question, show us the Father. Right. Or, or no, it was actually Philip who says in response to this, I'm confusing the two thoughts here. So Philip says, uh, Lord, show us the Father and then that will be enough for us. So, so Philip's question is like, we still don't get it. We, all that you, you say, uh, all that you've been telling us about this Father I mean, it's come to a point. It's like Peter making that statement. Look, don't say that anymore. Philip finally says, look, look. Show us the Father, please. And then we'll be sad. Then we'll know, right? You've been telling us, but you, we need to, That's not enough. Show us the Father. And, and then Christ, he deals with this question from verses fourteen nine through verses 11 14 9 through 11 he deals with these these thoughts don't you know me philip even after i have been among you such a long time philip could have said yeah i know you but i don't know the father but jesus is telling you anyone who has seen me has seen the father how can you say show us the father don't you believe that i am in the father and the father is in me The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me. He's not just comes in me sometimes and then he's not. He's here all the time. It's the Father living in me who is doing the work. Believe me when I tell you, when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So... So just to note, um, we're, we're just looking at point one here. and But seeing the risen Christ now gives them the, the understanding and the boldness to say, okay, if all of what Jesus told me is true, then everything he said about this Father, who is God, is also true. So they're linking this together now once they see the risen Christ they can do this but they can't really do this before they see the risen Christ this is when he says in that day you will be able to ask and guess what i tell you the father will give you whatever you ask so the father now is starting to step forward in the person of Christ we don't see the father outside of the person of Christ we are seeing him integrated with the person of Christ point B note the father is a concept that is for the new church age and not uh, conversant with israel's thinking and understanding i kind of made that point but if you go through the new testament and you see all the places where uh, the apostles link the lord jesus christ and the father together Great praise be to the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I mean, on and on, you could go through those and just be blessed by just reading that integration of how the Father is now tantamount in our spiritual lives. It is not just Yahweh for Israel anymore, it is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. More defined roles for each member of the trinity each person that are are revealed to us the father as we say plan is his plan the son is the one who executes the plan and the holy spirit is the one who reveals this eternal plan so this concept though is not uh, for israel it is a part of the revelation of the mystery Uh, so point c the disciples would understand more of the Father and they would be able to orient Jesus' sayings of how he and the Father are related. Now this is uh, interesting to note from John fifteen seven through 15. So Jesus said a lot about the Father. I'm just going to go to 15. We have this verse 7 through 15. It talks about the orientation Jesus had. To the Father. It says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But then he goes on and says, in verse 8, This is to my Father's glory. Why, Why would the Father be glorified? They don't even know who this person is. Remember, we saw that in 14. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Then he goes into this As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you can keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than than this, to lay down one's life. For one's friends you are my friends if you do what i command i no longer call you servants but because a servant does not know his master's business instead i've called you friends for everything i've learned from my father i have made known to you so there you have look at that integration how tight the integration everything jesus says and does is not on his own authority it's because of his father so finally, Philip said, who is this father? Show us, please. And yet, that's what we have. Uh, once they see the resurrected Christ, they now know that everything Christ said was true. Everything. And they need to go back and orient to everything and put it into their theology now. So that's important. Point D. So he says, "If you, my father will give to you he will give you. So this is in the phrase that we're on. So more introduction and orientation to the Father. The Father's plan. That's when we say the Father. We're not just talking about a person, but we're talking about a plan. Yes, it comes from the, the person of God the Father. But it it is not just about well, who he is and what is his character and all that. We know that he has righteousness and he has justice and we have we know the father has the same character as god but what more beyond that does the father have he has a plan right and that is the plan that has been executed before time began that is the plan that put uh the earth on a restoration path that put adam and the woman in the garden that put israel abraham isaac and jacob in place so that israel could be a put the lord jesus christ on the ground so he could pay for the sins of the world and be the very source of the many sons that are being called into glory so this is the plan that god chose and is being executed as we speak so it's renewed confidence for them so when it says the father will give to you that's more introduction and orientation to the father But it's not just the Father, as I said. It is the Father's plan. Point E in our notes. He will give you whatever you ask. So, (laughs) today when we talk about such things, we have to say, does that mean anything? And, And this is how a lot of people have looked at these verses. They looked at these verses. God will give you whatever you want. Well, whatever I want is what I want. And people ask whatever they want from their sin nature. God will never, never bow to your sin nature and give you what you want from your sin nature. So I say, anything, God, whatever you ask, anything you ask, the answer is no, no, that's not true. The limitation is anything according to the Father's plan. That's what it is. If the Father's going to give it to you, well, why we mention the Father? It's because it is the Father's plan that is being executed as we speak. And if you ask, right, the Father and here, here, I'll just lay it out in the notes. The 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 Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are all working toward this end. Are you?
1: So it is not like,
0: well, we're just drifting along. Anything that happens happens. And whatever you want, God will give you. Nope, there's a plan being executed right now. Are you on board with that plan? Can unbelievers ask anything they want and get it? No, he's talking about as you understand the Father's eternal purpose. And you begin to ask according to those things. Those are things that are according to their will. I mean, we're here right now because of the Father's plan. Of course, if you ask anything according to his will, he will do it. There's absolutely no question about that. He will do it. And that's not the won't he do it stuff that people are talking about. I'm talking about he will, whatever you ask according to his plan, his will. Yes, of course he will do it. Because He's that's what he's doing. That's what he's about right now. Point F in my name, the name of Jesus, right? The Father has invested everything in Christ. So if we look at Colossians 2, 2 and 3, we have looked at this before, but let's turn to it again. Uh, that's why Christ says, when he says in his name, so further, what does that mean? Colossians 2, my, Paul says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So when we have that scripture it is so important to our thinking when we talk about in the name of Christ, because what's in the name? Right? So is is What's in the name? Is it just that he is the, the focal point for who? For salvation for whoever there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. but no, it's not just that, but in the name of Christ is invested the Father's eternal purpose. We just read that in 16 where he said he says Christ Christ says, all things that the Father has has been given to me. That is why I'm telling you he will he will make the Holy Spirit will come and he will make known. What the things I'm telling you because what I'm telling you comes from the Father. All right? So he's showing about the investment that the Father has committed all things to him as the Son. So when we think about that thought and we think about in the name of Christ, we're just not invoking a name, we're invoking the Father's eternal purpose. So when Christ says, whatever you ask in my name, not just saying, well, just put the name of Christ on the end and that'll be the, the open sesame to whatever you want. That is to say that you are on board and the Spirit is motivating you and leading and guiding you into all truth. And guess what it also is to say? That you can contribute to the Father's eternal purpose with your positive will. That is astounding in and of itself. It's not just uh, that God chose me in him before the creation of the world, but it is also my contributions to what the Father's plan is that matter to the Father's plan. He, He says, ask. Jesus wants you to be a part of this movement that God has created what which, which he is calling the father's plan because you will have an impact in that uh, much more could be said about that so it's according right? why why is it that Christ is so important important because of Ephesians 3:11 let's read it it's this is why Christ is so important that name uh, Ephesians 3:11 is according To his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There it is. The eternal purpose accomplished in Christ. So when you talk about the name of Christ, this is the biggest thing. It's not just about salvation. This, what has been accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord, the greatest accomplishment, is not salvation. It's this. It's this right here. So when you invoke the name of Christ, as I said before, and some people use the name of Christ in such a derogatory way, which they don't understand that it, who, who Christ is, what was accomplished, what the Father's plan is accomplished through Christ Jesus, our Lord. That name is above Every name, as it says, and when we get to Philippians, where he says, because of what Christ did, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. The name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every tongue should confess. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So this is part of what God is saying is important to him. It's not just important. To us, it's important to him because this is his eternal person purpose. Point G as we're closing, ultimately, there is much, so much more change coming. And the disciples just need to buckle their seat belts. Just like Christ said in, in John 16, 12, I have much more to say to you. More than you can now bear. Wow, what an exciting life the disciples had before that year. I mean, to be, like Paul says, and we who are the first to hope in Christ may be for the praise of his glory. And this is part of the heritage that we have as church age believers, those who belong to this age, just like it says in Ephesians 2, he raised us up with Christ and seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I mean this, what God has done for us takes my breath away as I think about it. And with the expectation of what we have in this time that we are living in Christ and the opportunity that we have to be ministers of reconciliation Ambassadors for the new creation in Christ Jesus. It is amazing, astounding, whatever you want to think about it. You plug in your own adjective, but what we have is glorious as well. We're going to conclude this verse. We're coming back next week with the same context. Jesus has more to say to them in the discourse. So stay tuned. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had. We're grateful. Just as you said, he that has ears to hear, eyes to see, let them hear and see what the Spirit is saying to the church. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you for your plan and the uh, inclusion of us in that plan. We're so grateful for this as we think about all that Christ said, all that he means to us, the fact that he's our Lord, he's everything, just as he is everything to you. Thank you, Father, for the privilege, and we pray for the church that is on the ground here in the world, asking that all of us may come to the knowledge of the truth as uh, in the fullness and stature of our Lord Jesus Christ. All this we ask in his name and for his sake. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen.